This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we are back with our big midweek show for week eight. Now, I will say quickly, we didn't have a show on Monday or Tuesday. And that is because my son was sick. He's still a little sick, but he's doing better. So just wasn't able to get away. Now, today's show is going to include news with Julius Lux. We'll get some news tidbits coming right up first. Then we're going to jump into some injury reports with Kyle Trimble, doctor of physical therapy. We're going to talk about some big ones, obviously. Some in- some season-ending uh, situations for my favorite team, which is unfortunate. <laughs> then we're going to do the college football update. We're going to do it with Reagan Harris of Gridiron Heroics today, not Max, because he is going to be moving to Cincinnati. And then we have Fantasy with Matthew Brown. And to close out the show... We have a Thursday night preview of the Ravens and Buccaneers with Splash Pots of U Stadium. So that's the show for you today. And to kick things off, we have Julius Lux. How are you doing today, Julius? All is well. Can't complain. Um, I mean, I can't complain. Yankees got eliminated for those who don't know. <laughs> I so happened to be at the game where they got eliminated. So I got to witness that oh, in no. person. It was very brutal. But other yep. than that... Um, can't complain. Uh, <laughs> went to went to a basketball game for therapy, so got to see the Knicks win, which was nice. But other than that, all is well. How about you? All all is well with me, except for my son being sick. Um, I have a scratchy throat. I'm not gonna lie, which is you know Ooh. usually the inevitable next step when you have small kids oh, who man. are sick. Yeah. So far, so far, it was just him, not my youngest. So, you know, I don't want. I don't. I don't want to speak it into existence, but usually that also follows. So, you know, things are things are good, but uh, but I'm a little apprehensive, to be perfectly honest. So, uh, look, I, I want to ask you about your your uh, your fandom and see who you're a fan of outside of the outside of the Cowboys and the Yankees. But I guess we'll save that for another day because we are on a schedule and we've got some news to talk about. So why don't you lay down the first one on me? All right, the first piece of news I got for you is from Indianapolis, and I'm sure you guys have already heard this one. The Colts are benching Matt Ryan in favor of Sam Ellinger this week against the Washington Commanders. This was officially confirmed by head coach Frank Reich. And Ryan is dealing with a grade two shoulder separation. Nick Foles will be QB number two. But, of course, Matt Ryan's struggles also factor into this, and it is unsure of the starting QB situation moving forward once Ryan is healed. Yeah, uh, this is big news. I mean, for a team that, despite their struggles, are still currently in the race for a playoff spot in, in a division that's lacking dominance, really, on any front. We'll see what happens with Ellinger. I mean, you know, he had a lot of big-time performances at Texas, so we'll see if any of that translates to the NFL. We will talk about Matt Ryan's shoulder uh, when we get to the injury report with Kyle, so that's coming right up. But uh, I don't know. I mean, look, the Commanders, they have a good pass rush, and they just beat the Packers, but, you know, the NFL is uh, 
apparently full of parity this week. So that surely means that Sam Ellinger is going to go off and, and look like the next big thing, just because that's what we don't <laughs> expect. Right. Yeah, honestly. And of course, Matt Ryan did come to the Colts in a trade this off season, one year after Carson Wentz was a starting QB. And now that the Matt Ryan project has pretty much failed at this point, uh, they're giving the rookie a shot. So it's good to see a young, a young Longhorn getting the shot there. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a. Uh, I don't want to say the Matt Ryan experiment has failed because he's looked good at times. Obviously, not so much last week. But regardless, you know, we'll see what happens with Ellinger, and we'll see if uh, the injury heals up for Ryan, and maybe he gets back in there. Only one way to find out. Yeah, plus that division right now is not a sure thing of who's gonna, you know, win that. So they're still in the race in a way. But moving on to a more of a powerhouse team, the Kansas City Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark has been suspended two games for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Clark's suspension stems from the pleading no contest in September for two counts of misdemeanor possession of an assault weapon in separate incidents back in 2021. He was sentenced to one year of probation, 40 hours of community service. And now official action has been taking place and a layout of a suspension is official. I don't know why I really don't. I, I don't, I don't understand it, but look, it's not my life. It's not my place to comment on it. Obviously owning uh, or being in possession of a, an assault weapon is illegal. And I don't know why he needs to have one. It's kind of crazy that he, is, you know, wise enough to get caught twice with them. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I just don't, but I haven't really versed myself deeply with the situation either. So, you know what? Maybe, maybe he has a reason. God knows I don't, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, look, that's, that's Frank Clark. Uh, is this is this suspension now? I assume is coming down immediately, so it's for the next two games. Yes, I believe so. That's, crazy. That's, that's that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, just two games for that. That's kind of weird. Kind of would think it was more, but I guess that's the the normal policy. But whatever. I mean, who knows? Yeah. But moving on to my team, the Dallas Cowboys are acquiring defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins from the Las Vegas Raiders for a 2023 sixth-round pick. Dallas will also receive a 2024 seventh-round pick in the deal. Hankins has been a solid interior defender this year, and Dallas, you know, their defense is pretty solid, but they need a little help with that department, so they go out right before the deadline and get some help at the defensive tackle position. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a surprise that they're about to go up against the Chicago Bears, who are one of the better running teams in football right now. So as good as they are at rushing the passer, and they're pretty good in coverage right now as well, shoring up the defensive line against a rushing attack that the Bears have is, you know, it, I think it makes sense. It, you know, it, it, it does fit along with the timeline of the trade deadline too. So I don't think it's exclusively about the Bears, but the timing is good for, you know, rounding out a defense that could use a little help on the interior. Absolutely. And my Cowboys for, and usually makes a trade right before the deadline. Typically they don't do a whole lot in my latest years, but it's good to see them go, but we're going to go from my team to your team. And you know, exactly what I'm talking about with this. The jets are acquiring 
running back James Robinson from the Jacksonville Jaguars in exchange for a sixth round pick that could become a fifth round pick. I believe it has to be 600 rushing yards for Robinson for the sixth pick to become a round five. So James Robinson will take over because Brees Hall, unfortunately, went down with a torn ACL after a solid start to his career. And, you know, he showed a great burst of speed throughout his time this year and goes down with such a big injury. I'm sure you're going to talk about it later in the show. Torn ACLs, never fun. And you guys got a new back who didn't get any action last week. Yeah, we will talk about the ACL injury. I would say a solid start to his career is an understatement. It was pretty yeah. amazing. I'm glad they did this. Um, the season is going too well to just, you know, not do anything. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think the compensation is very reasonable. I would say that it's unless he gets hurt, it's very, very unlikely that he doesn't meet that standard. So I think we can essentially assume that it's a, a fifth round pick at this point. But either way, I'm still happy with it. Robinson is a very good running back. He doesn't necessarily have that elite speed that made Brees Hall so game-changing. But if they are going to be a run-heavy offense, if they do want to continue to try and protect Zach Wilson a little bit by not making him throw too many times a game, they definitely needed another back. And this player, he is a great complement to what they have in Michael Carter. It's not necessarily thunder and lightning in the sense of like a power back and a speed back but carter doesn't really have that power dynamic he's got good contact balance but he's his his real ability is as a receiver out of the backfield so i I do like that they've got a guy who can handle a few more touches and take it between the tackles i don't know if it changes their season but it's it's a a piece that they were missing without Brees hall for sure and, of course, we wish Brees Hall to a speedy yet safe recovery and hope all gets well with that knee because, of course, like we said, he was doing a fantastic job. And to see a young rookie in his first, not even a first full season, go down to a you know a pretty significant injury, never a good sight to see. But the last piece of news I got for you, renderings for a new Titans Dome Stadium has been released. This would approximately seat 60,000 people and cover 1.7 million square feet. The renderings followed last week's announcement that the Titans had reached an agreement with Nashville Mayor for local funding. That final piece of $760 million in bonds still must be approved by the Metro Nashville Council and Metro Sports Authority. The new stadium would cost $1.2 billion in public funding, including $500 million in state bonds, and it's considered to be the largest public commitment for an NFL stadium to date. So that, that's a lot of info there, but I, I figured I'd not leave anything out to what seems to be a big-time project, especially since that last sentence, the, the largest public commitment for an NFL stadium ever. I have never lived in a city where a stadium needed to be built. I grew up in a small town far enough away from Buffalo that I was not included in that. And I moved to Key West. There is not even enough room for a stadium there, even if they wanted to build one. And then now I'm in Austin and they have not attempted to build anything since I've been here. So it's not something that I've been personally confronted with, but I will say it's, I will echo the general sentiment that it's kind of insane that the public is being asked to build these stadiums. I understand that it brings money in terms of tax dollars, like to the greater area, 
but like there's got to be a way to get more out of the ownership for these stadiums because they profit far 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 more than anybody else does so i mean i will also say on another note i am i am i'm not opposed to domes by rule because i i like variety i like that there are, there's different elements within the nfl landscape like you know you go south you have to deal with the heat and potential rain in the summer you go north you might have to deal with the snow and the ice and all that and i do like that some places there are domes because it's just variety i just don't want the nfl to be taken over by domes because it seems like there's been a lot of domes built lately so i like i like my football with a little bit of weather that's that's my take so i think we talked about that before yeah, old yeah. school. Yeah, I I don't have a preference. I know, obviously, with domes, there's more accessibility and no issues in terms of weather. But at the same time, the whole weather aspect does make it fun. I mean, we do want to see a, a big-time snow game every once in a while to, or like a, a big-time wind gust that's really taking a toll on kickers. It, it makes the game not just, just more fun, but it's pretty challenging. And it, they wouldn't put those fun, you know, tweaks on Madden for nothing. So I would, <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, t- I don't know if you've ever been in Nashville, but you can see the stadium from the bars of that town, that Nashville mm-hmm. town. Cause I went this past summer and I went during a country music fest and I didn't go to the fest. My sister did. I did it. I, I just went to the bars, but you can see the stadium from like the rooftop bars and it's a pretty nice looking stadium. So I don't know if it's mm-hmm. that they just want, I don't know if it's just the fact that this looks cooler. I don't know if they wanted a dome or maybe just, I don't know. There's stuff going on with that old stadium, but from, from the, from where I was standing, it looked like a nice put together stadium. Well, it's, I've never been in it. I've only driven past it through Nashville. I drove right by it. Let me just check the size. I guarantee you, it's the size and like the number of seats that they want to prove 60, 60,000 is not that big compared to other stadiums, I think, but still they have a smaller, um, smaller market there. Size of Nissan stadium. I think it's still called Nissan stadium. No, it's actually bigger. 67.7,000. So I don't know. Maybe it's just out of date. Let's see. Nissan Stadium. When was it built? Let's see. Riveting show for you. Former names. <laughs> 1999. It's not even that. that. I was going to say, like, I don't, I don't think the Titans are that old of an organization compared to a lot of the other teams. So I didn't think that the stadium was even that old. I mean, not. I mean, it's old, but it's not not that old so i don't know i, I think i think it's more just for style i think it's just the I whole they could probably just charge more dome adaptability charge more uh, yeah yeah i would assume maybe more luxury boxes stuff like that who knows but anyway that'll do it for us today julius let everybody know where they can find you until we talk to you again tomorrow you can find me on twitter got 44 got 44 on twitter you can find me on gridironheroics.com and see everything there, as well as on Facebook. You can find me by just by searching my name, Julius Lux. Beautiful. All right. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you very soon. Talk to you soon. All right. We are back with Kyle Trimble, doctor of physical therapy, 
the creator of Banged Up Bills, and he is here, as always, to talk about the injuries from the NFL week that was. Now, some big ones for my team personally, so this is going to be a, a harder week than most, but how are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, the Bills were on by this past week, so I got some yard work done, and I uh, just got, I got to watch from afar as the Bills are on top of the AFC. Yeah, that they are. They're having a good year, and you're expecting too, so... You know, that, there's always some some tension surrounding that, but you must be feeling pretty good right now. Overall, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's jump into it. We got we got quite a few. So, what division would you like to start in today? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna call it. Let's rip off the band aid and just do the AFC East first, so I can just get it done and move on <laughs> with my life. All right. So we're going to hit out in the uh, Jets first there. So uh, Brees Hall left the game with a left ACL chair late in the second quarter. By the video, it really wasn't clear what he did at the time until head coach Robert Sala had said that he that they feared an ACL tear. And then they came out Monday that confirmed it with a minor meniscus tear. So it's it's hugely unfortunate because one of the benefits of the Jets this year was their ability to stay healthy. You, even though they had some injuries in the preseason to Mekhi Becton and some other guys going down early, their hallmark has been this year the ability to next man up approach and keep everybody else around other than the offensive line healthy. So we're starting to see guys kind of go, start to go down, and Hall has been one of the big catalysts for their ability to um, move to a 5-2 and two record there. So he's going to be out the rest of the year can come back at the beginning of training camp, but I was looking this up before we got on, and the research doesn't really favor running backs to come back um, as well as they were uh, prior to the injury. So he was a second-round pick. He'll miss the rest of the year. He can come back in a year or two, and he's going to have some decrease in production. Uh, it's unfortunate, but they start to see where the production starts to kind of normalize after um, and two years out from the surgery, and then after year three, it kind of varies there. But um, he has a benefit of this being his rookie year in that they've already invested some time and draft capital asset into him that he can still bounce back. He's not going to be like a Cam Akers where, you know, he tore his Achilles, he came back, and then they're already looking to move on from him because he's not producing there. So um, thankfully he's early on in his career in a sense of looking at, you know, long-term ramifications, but it's just unfortunate because that, that was really a big blow to them. And then, the Jets also lost Elijah Vera Tucker to a triceps tear. And that's their third or fourth offensive tackle that they've had to rotate through because they've had George Fant, Mekhi Becton, Max Mitchell. Um, it seems like every time they put somebody in the, the tackle position, they get hurt, which is really unfortunate. It's going to slow down Zach Wilson's development and um, just, it just hasn't been good for an offensive line standpoint for the Jets this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, Look, Brees Hall was turning into one of the best running backs in the NFL, and, you know, there could have been a case for him to be the best by the end of the season. Um, you know, I, I know Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley have been doing their thing, but he he can just take take it to the house. The, the one hope I do have for him in terms of being a productive player is he's not really a lateral type of runner. He doesn't really put a ton of pressure uh, in, into his jump cuts. He's really more vertical type of runner. And it's his speed that makes him so explosive. So we'll see. I mean, I am hopeful for him to make a, a solid return. But like you said, it's you never really know. And then Vera Tucker, man, he turned into a star player for them. He's been 
producing a guard, producing a tackle. And hopefully they get George Fant back. And then hopefully afterwards they get Max Mitchell back. So there will be a little depth there. But it's been it's been even tough. I mean, even Dwayne Brown was out for a while. So it's just it's it is a rotating door at tackle for them. And this is gonna be a tough one going up against the Patriots who just got embarrassed on Monday night football. So you know, you know this week is gonna be a bit nerve-wracking for Jets fans, but it's just bad news all around, and hopefully they can fight through. They gave themselves some padding in terms of a record at 5-2, and two, but these are their two best offensive players, and there's really no doubt about that. So it's it's going to be an uphill battle. All right, and then it looks like we've got somebody down in Miami who had an unfortunate injury as well. Yes, uh, so yeah, safety Brandon Jones. He left the game with a left knee injury. Uh, some of the early speculation was that it was going to be ACL tear, but Head coach Mike McDaniel had said that he would be out on short-term injury reserve for at least the next four games with a knee injury. They don't state what he did. I was trying to figure out, look at the video, what happened to him. My best guess is something like meniscus where they need to go and trim some stuff out and give some time to, to get back. But the mechanism for injury from what I could see there really wasn't fit from what I see from an, a historical standpoint for meniscus, but I've seen weird ways for the meniscus to tear because sometimes it just takes that shearing, that pivoting motion, which he had a little bit of it in the video, but um, it wasn't clear. So their secondary depth continues to be hit hard because they've lost uh, Nick Needham last week to a Achilles tear. Uh, they're still without um, Byron Jones at the cornerback position as he recovers from his uh, left ankle Achilles uh, injury and surgery back in March. Um, Xavier Howard's still dealing with a groin injury. So they've really been beat up and they've lost some guys in the preseason too. So the Miami Dolphins are definitely vulnerable in the secondary and losing um, uh, Brandon Jones in the secondary doesn't help things. Yeah. It seems like kind of with the Jets, it's it's really like one specific position group or, you know, one core that's just getting injury after injury after injury, man. It's going to be a weird year. I think this this playoffs run race and and ultimately – you know, Super Bowl run is going to be so dependent on just who's hot and healthy at the right time. Because right now, there's just like three really good teams. And then honestly, you could make a case for anybody else at the right moment, any any one of like 12 other teams to be legitimate, just depends if they're healthy. All right. So since we're in the AFC already, let's transition over to the AFC North. It looks like my pick for comeback player of the year, probably not going to fulfill that prediction because he has another injury that he is going to need surgery for. What's up with J.K. Dobbins? Yeah, he's going underwent a left arthroscopic knee surgery. He's out for the next four or six weeks. Um, this is a problem with sometimes those more significant knee injuries. Sometimes they need other procedures. Uh, I haven't seen anything, whether it's if he had a further meniscus injury. Uh, he was having some trouble back in the preseason despite his own perceptions that he wasn't moving around as, as fluid, fluid as, as possible. Um, and there might've been some, some loose bodies in there. There might've been some meniscus damage. There might just something that might've been angry in there that they need to just kind of remove and, and get things healed back up again. Um, he, he, he tore pretty much everything up in his knee. It's not going to be a smooth recovery to get back. Um, I don't know that the Ravens rushed him back um, because that's a, decision between front office medical staff and player and so they're not going to necessarily try to push him back out there though you do hear sometimes they they do that in nfl but 
uh, he wanted me back out there and I think he's paying the price a little bit for having to, to push it a little bit more. So um, as for the exact reason why he, he had that, I can't say, but this isn't uncommon to see that there's sometimes complications. We saw it with the Packers, David Bakhtiari. Uh, he tore his ACL back at the end of 2020, missed all of last year, except for part of one game. And he's still having issues with the knee. So sometimes just the, sometimes the recovery is not um, linear in terms of that linear progress that we see in a positive direction. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, we, we prognosticate a lot of this stuff and a lot of times it's, it's pretty accurate, but that doesn't mean it's a guarantee by any stretch. You know, some of these players, they just, they don't heal as quickly or they aggravate or, you know, we, like you said, we don't know for sure in this case, but, but uh, sometimes favoring one, type of movement to relieve a little bit of pressure or, or or discomfort causes injury somewhere else. So, you know, injuries are a tough part of this business. It would have been nice to see him out there, but he still has an opportunity to come back late in the season, especially if they make a playoff run. So we have one more, it looks like in the AFC North. What's up with yes. David and Joku? He's dealing with a high ankle sprain. Um, it happens that they're, they're just, we, we've talked about him plenty on the podcast already this season. Uh, you get that, that dorsiflexion, eversion, and stress the syndesmosis of the ankle. And every time you step, that that basically the top of the ankle foot just pushes up through the tibia and fibula area. You just have a lot of weakness. You don't have any explosiveness off of that uh, foot there. So um, looking at their schedule right now, they do play Cincinnati on Monday, uh, Monday Night Football. He'll very likely miss that game but then they have an excellently timed by week nine. So it's reasonable that he can only miss one game. He still might not be hundred percent, but you see guys miss two, three games for this. So, um, you know, if he, if he doesn't return against Miami in week 10, he'll probably be back against Buffalo in week 11 and, you know, bias here, but they're going to need every uh, bit of help that they can get for uh, Buffalo when they play them. But, you know, I, I can see him missing you know, one week and then using the buy to help get fully right there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's definitely an important weapon for them. They have a bunch of weapons. Unfortunately, just hasn't come together. So being short, anybody against Buffalo would probably not be ideal. They are obviously very, very good. All right. Yes. So AFC South, Matt Ryan has been benched officially for Sam Ellen, Ellinger. Ellinger? Ellinger. Yes. Uh, so, so, you know, a lot of people are are putting that all on his performance but you wanted to point out that he has a, uh, an AC joint sprain. So do you think that is specifically why he's being benched? Do you think it's contributing to his play or, or why did you specifically want to point this out today? Matt Ryan, former MVP, you know, he's still one of the top names in the league, even though his production has not matched what, what he is anymore. I mean, but Matt Ryan's still a very recognizable name from his days in Atlanta. Uh, even if he did play through the injury, he would have a lot of, a lot of trouble generating the ball in regards to moving the ball down the field there because think about when you throw how much trunk rotation you have how much the uh, left arm rotates your body through and that kind of acts just it helps rotate you through and you use that shoulder there's um, so much to help rotate so when you have the non-throwing shoulder involved you can play through it but you're just that fall through isn't there the um, ability to wind up it just it, it takes away from the mechanics of effectively throwing the football and of course, if he takes another shot to that, that shoulder, that could knock him out. Um, and and then, then you, you put Ellinger in there without 
that preparation you have at first team reps normally get there. So um, even though they said that was a plan for Ellinger to be uh, playing next week, regardless of the injury, there's also a reason why Ryan wouldn't be effective. Um, and so it's best to just let the rookie go in and just see what he can do. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's hard to say that, you know, one, one game, you just want to pull him because he did have a good week the week before, but we got to realize something. Matt Ryan is not exactly generating throw power with, you know, just his right arm anymore. So even though it is a left sprain, he really needs the full mechanic to get the ball where it needs to go. So absolutely I mean, makes a lot of sense for a guy of his age who, you know, always had a fine arm, never a, a tremendous arm that, that any kind of a hitch in those mechanics will be a major problem for him. So we'll see if they decide to stick with Ellinger for a while. You know, he's been there for, for a little while. Like he knows the system. This is, this is, you know, he's had a full off season. So I think, We'll see. I mean, he played pretty well at Texas. We'll find out if he has what it takes to play in the NFL. But, all right. We have one more AFC division to go through, and that is the West. And Mike Williams is now banged up in a Chargers receiving core that probably cannot sustain any more injuries because they're already struggling. Correct. Uh, he's dealing with the right high, high ankle sprain from what I uh, have read up on and got rolled up on. Um, they have a bye week eight, which is hugely beneficial for them. So he could miss one game, could miss three games. It just depends on how severe it is. But with the with with the difficulty in route running as it is already, and then just need to cut and plant and jump off that foot, he could miss more time. Just the the demands of the position, um, you need much more out of the ankle than just saying I'm going to get there and play. Um, I know we just talked about David and Joku missing only one game, you know, with a taking one week off and then the bye, but he has the bye to get right and then try to maybe get, you know, one more week under him. But um, the Chargers have been absolutely banged up and they, they can't seem to get ahead with things. And um, you just got to see what happens with them. And then his teammate, JC Jackson, suffered a right, I, I, I did see two different things right dislocated patella and then patellar tendon tear. So you could have dislocated the patella 10 or excuse me the patella and also torn and this was he was in the end zone and he was trying to um keep up with his man and he kind of fell and his, his weight was shifting backwards and his legs were going forward so it was almost like he was sliding and you could see the knee kind of buckle a little bit and it was the initially thought of an acl tear but just that that deceleration and trying to stop with his foot hit the um the turf that's what caused the patella tendon tear because his knee was trying to extend to stop himself and his weight and the momentum was carrying forward so much. That's what caused it there. So he's going to be out and the patella tendon tears. I was looking it up for somebody else had the question. I've seen anywhere from 50% return to play upwards of 80% return to play, but the decrease in production is, is significant in years. One kind of comes back in year two and year three. The only Silver lining is that JC Jackson signed his contract extension in March, which means he's at least on the books for a while because he's been banged up. He's coming off of that, um, I believe, his ankle surgery we talked about earlier mm-hmm. in the season, and it just—it's unfortunate. There's nothing that you could have done to prevent this injury, and that's just—that's just football. But it just—you're going to see him really not be JC Jackson next year. Um, if he does, great, but. 
is fortunate that he signed his contract in March. For him, yeah. I'm sure yes. the Chargers fans are not happy, but <laughs> what, I think it's important to look at it from the player perspective as well. And so he does have some security. He has some time to get right without stressing about where he's going to be playing next year. So uh, we'll see. Uh, this Chargers team, man, they are maybe the most injury-plagued in the NFL. I mean, it seems kind of like there's three teams that all had legitimate chances to be playoff teams and maybe still do, but it's the, it's the dolphins. It's the chargers and the team that we can talk about next, the 49ers, they just can't catch a break. So the 49ers had two injuries, the key uh, offensive players this week. What are we looking at for San Fran? Uh, got Debo Samuel, the hamstring. Those are pretty much garden variety. It depends on severity. Could miss a game, could miss two games because his uh, game is based on speed. Um, so we'll just have to see how the severity of it, but a game or two, which is what we typically see with hamstrings. Um, and then fullback Kyle Juszczyk, he's dealing with a, a broken left ring finger. Um, usually in those cases, they also dislocate. So he did have surgery from what I was seeing. Um, he's going to need at least some time off to get just allow the wound to heal up and get some function back in that, that finger. Thankfully the ring finger doesn't have a huge impact on his play, but he's still going to need that for, um, you know, gripping the football and whatnot. Like he can't, he could club it up, but then that's going to really limit him to one side. And then he's not going to protect the football as much there. So um, those are injuries you can play through, but it's just unfortunate that he, they're going to miss that guy. And I know that the, Shanahan offense likes using the fullbacks a little bit more than, um, you know, some other offenses. So, and juice checks has, has proven to be a great player regardless of position. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that he brings to the table is his ability to catch the ball from the fullback position. And with a club, you're, you know, <laughs> probably not really doing that particularly well, at least you're not going to rely on somebody one-handed. So, you know, it better to just give him a little bit of time off and they still do have Ayuk. They did bring in Christian McCaffrey. They do still have George Kittle. They they have some weapons, but, you know, this is tough. And I believe that they're playing divisionally against the Rams this upcoming week. So it's an important game. So we, we'll see. We'll see how that all comes together. All right. So since we're already in the NFC West, we'll touch on one more big-time injury. Very unfortunate for a team that's doing well. DK Metcalf left this week's game for the Seahawks. What does that look like for them? Metcalf's injury is interesting because by video, it looked like an ACL tear because you saw a shift and just the pivot of the knee there. But they said that he has a uh, left patellar tendon issue. They said, um, my buddy pro football doc, because I, I do use him because he's looking at the whole league there. And so I, I had to shout him out because in look at the research, it's, it's beneficial when, you know, he has perception because I haven't seen anything out come from the Adam Schefter, the Ian Rappaport. And so Instead of trying to figure it out all the time, sometimes, hey, I'm going to look at, you know, somebody who I know is looking at this already. So Dr. Chow had thought that there was a patellar subluxation, which is a partial dislocation of the kneecap there. Uh, that, that can happen during those sudden decelerations. Um, the quadricep wants to contract. And if you change position like that, especially with that, that valgus stress force we do see, um, instead of the ACL having the strain through that and potentially rupturing, uh, sometimes more of the, the interior portion of the knee, which is where the patella is at, gets affected and then you have that that partial dislocation that pops back in there so uh depending on severity there might be you know some damage to the ligaments that stabilize patella there might not be so um i need to see more information to see how long he's gonna be out 
I would not be surprised if he is out at least one or two games just try to get things right, maybe come back with a uh, stabilizing knee brace, you know, the one with a circle out in it, uh, just because he would want some extra stability around the kneecap versus one of the hinged braces. But it might come down to how how is he feeling running with that brace? Does it limit him anyway? Because I know a lot of those guys don't like playing with the braces. And there's a pride thing with that there too. And if I'm going to be out there with a, a brace, just don't put me out there then. So um, I need more information as to the severity of it, but he definitely avoided worst case scenario uh, with that being the ACL tear. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they are currently in the lead for the NFC West. So the ability to have him come at, back and really provide anything at any point in the season is is going to be huge for them. And that's what a wild story for that team this year. I, I We're going to have to talk about that quite a bit more you know, at, at another point on the podcast. So, all right. For a team with more injuries to the wide receiver position that really can't afford it, the Green Bay Packers are out two players right now, but one in a key position where they're already a little bit weak. Alan Lazard has a shoulder injury. Do you have any uh, more details on that? I do have some. Um, he went down with a shoulder injury at the beginning of the second half, I believe. Um, I didn't see how he hurt the injury or, or no. Yeah. The beginning of the second half, uh, I didn't see how he hurt the injury, but they did say he was in a sling on the left side, which is pretty common. We see with AC joint sprains and that's where the acromion, which is basically the top of your shoulder meets with the clavicle and it's a separated shoulder, if you will. And what happens is you get direct below the area and it disrupts that, um, there is pain, there is weakness, difficulty getting up overhead there, but it's an injury that. Once things heal back up in there, it's okay. There still might be some deformity in the shoulder, but it doesn't mean that you can't play through that there. It just, he's going to be limited trying to engage his blocks and trying to high point the ball. He's just not going to have a lot of strength in the area. So um, I I hope that he doesn't play because that's one less weapon. And once again, I say that with bias, be a Bills fan, they're playing them on Sunday night in week eight there. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses next game just because he's going to need some time to get that shoulder right. And if you're in a sling like that, that doesn't necessarily indicate severity, but it's going to be hard to suddenly get out there and play a full, full football game and catch passes from Aaron Rodgers there. Uh, and then the other guy is Rashawn Gary with a concussion. Um, he injured himself late in the third, uh, third quarter. I believe if I read, if I wrote that out, um, he's also working through a toe injury as well uh, that he would practice a full with last week. So he's a little bit banged up. If, he can't get through concussion protocol. That'll be a huge benefit to Buffalo's uh, defense, or excuse me, offense, because they'll also potentially be without their offensive tackle, Spencer Brown, who we talked about last week. And if they match up well with each other, uh, which I'm sure you want to put on whoever they can, um, I would say the right tackle for the Bills is a lot worse than the left tackle for the Bills. But if Gary is out, that's only going to benefit the Bills, who are favored at last check, 10.5 point favorite over the Packers going into Sunday night. Okay. All right. And it looks like the last division that we have to knock out real quick is the NFC East. The Giants lost Daniel Bellinger to an injury that honestly, like I was afraid it was worse. I was afraid that he actually got like jabbed in the eye really badly, but it looks like he has essentially a broken face to, <laughs> to put it in, uh, in uh, layman's terms. What happened with Bellinger, Kyle? Uh, they said it was a freak injury. One of the guys, um, the opponents 
uh, hand got through the face mask and, and hit him in the face. He suffered a left orbital bone fracture and septum fracture. Um, it's one of those freak things. You, you, you protect guys as much as you can, but sometimes they still happen. I believe I saw he's going to short-term IR, which isn't surprising because it's going to be hard to play at the broken face. He'll probably be out the next four or six weeks just to let himself get right. But thankfully, um, from what I saw, there wasn't any damage to the eye, which would be the far more important thing in this in this case here. So just get get um, prepared, healed up, and then get back out there. But as long as there wasn't eye, any eye damage, there really shouldn't be any long-term ramifications. Uh, and then the other injury I saw that they had was uh, Evan Neal suffered an MCL sprain. It's probably your garden variety MCL sprain. He's probably going to miss the next you know two to four weeks, uh, which we see often with those guys. Uh, offensive lineman, you come back and play with a brace. You just make sure that you protect the inside portion of the knee with that brace so that you're not re-injuring the area if you get rolled up on, which is unfortunately common with uh, offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, as far as it stinks for them because they, you know, they, they as running the ball, they need all their offensive linemen in. But that Bellinger injury, it's crazy. I mean, for one thing, how do you hit that hard in that place without hitting an eye? I don't know. Very lucky. But also, how do you put fingers through a face mask with that much force that you do that kind of damage and the player whose hand went through the face mask not have any problems? Because, like, I just don't understand the physics of that. Like, how are those – how is that hand intact? I, I, I mean, I have no idea. I, I, I'm not really sure either. The, the only analogy I can think of is hammer and nail. You know, it maybe the face is the nail and the, ha- the hammer is the hand and maybe just the force of it all, just all the, the force was absorbed by the, the face rather than um, than the hand taking any of it. I guess. It just, I mean, I know they have strong hands, obviously, but still, like, that that blows my mind like you you would think with just going in at that angle that there would be some kind of likely dislocation or or something anyway something final, give, yeah yeah well i mean look i mean at least only one player got hurt i guess that's all i can say <laughs> last team the cowboys they get their win with the return of Dak prescott but they do lose a player to injury jordan lewis his rightless frank injury according to kyle um and you know, that's usually a pretty severe one. What are we looking at for Jordan? Uh, any more information on that one? I haven't seen where he's at. If it's going to be something they put an IR, let him rest. If it's a true Liz Franck or if it was more of a midfoot sprain, because you can have a midfoot sprain be a Liz Franck, but not every Liz Franck, um, or not every midfoot sprain is a Liz Franck there. So um, they can be separate, but usually you see a lot of um, overlapping with that there. So, um, Hopefully he can avoid getting surgery, but if it's a trueless frog, usually seals are season ending. But I haven't seen anything come out said that he's having surgery um, or anything else like that. But it's just sometimes it's how you land. I mean, the Louis Franck injuries can be low energy and you just land funny and over the top of the foot or that twisty motion. And that can be enough to disrupt the midfoot and cause you know a fracture or um, a dislocation of the area that you just simply cannot put weight through to push off effectively there. So um, we'll need more information about that from my vantage point, but that's going to be a big hit to the Cowboy secondary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely unfortunate for a team that's playing extremely well uh, on defense in, in general. Let me just see who they're playing. Do you, I don't know. You, maybe, you know, off the top of your head, but no, I I'm can't just, say I do. I'm curious to see if they're, if they're, um, 
secondary is going to be a key part of that matchup. Uh, schedule. Usually I like to try and do this in advance, but I guess you're going to hear it live. Cowboys are going to be playing the Bears. Well, Bears are not exactly a big-time passing team, so I guess if there is there is a team that you're going to go up against where it's probably not the end of the world, that would be one, although they are coming off a big win from last night. All right. So if I'm not mistaken, that's going to do it for the injury report for us this week. Kyle, I appreciate you very, very much. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you are expecting. We weren't even sure if we'd have you this week, which means the chances of having you next week are probably even slightly less. But we'll see. We shall see. Best of luck with you and the wife and everybody. And uh, from now until the next time that we have you on, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and hit you up for NFL injury information. So you find me on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit at Banged Up Bills. Um, you can find me on uh, the, my website, bangedupbills.com. You can find my appearances on uh, this podcast here on Gridiron Heroics. You can find me on Buffalo Late Night uh, on Monday nights. And you can find my weekly appearance with Joe Marino on Locked on Bills. All right. Thanks again, Kyle. And we'll talk to you very soon. All right, it's time for the college football update, but we have a different voice on the line today. Max Chadwick, who normally does it with us, is moving to Cincinnati right now. So we have Reagan Harris, who is our lead CFB analyst with Gridiron Heroics, to recap the week that was and talk about what's coming up this uh, this this next week. Reagan, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I, well, I, I'm sure you're flying high because your uh, your uh, your team had a big time victory in the Big Twelve. So, look, I mean, I feel like that's as good a place to start. Get on, the, get out on the right foot, man. Um, how was that? I know you were at this game, so uh, you were kind of MIA for for Saturday, but uh, I'm sure you were enjoying yourself. Yeah, uh, probably next to uh, Bedlam last year. That was the most electric atmosphere I've ever seen. I couldn't believe how loud it got. At one point, they uh, brought out like a, I guess it's a decibel reader for how loud it is. And it was over mm -hmm. 103, which is just mind-blowingly loud. Um, it was just an incredible game. It looked like Texas was going to run over Oklahoma State at one point or up like 2410 or something of that nature. And in the second half, they only scored three points. Oklahoma State just really dominated, and Texas never looked like they were going to win it in the fourth quarter. It was just an impressive turnaround and a, a well coached game by Mike Gundy. Yeah, well, so, and I'm in Austin, and I'm not, I'm not a Texas fan per se. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of enjoy watching them play well, but I was driving and I had this game on the radio, at least for the beginning of the game. And so, I, I kind of followed along a little bit, but, um, you know, who had the biggest performance from this particular week, whether it be Oklahoma State or or uh, Texas, who, who kind of stood out? Well, there's a couple players defensively, Oklahoma State, specifically their safety, Jason Taylor, the second. I think he's a senior, um, could have gone to the draft, stayed another year, definitely going to get drafted now, had two interceptions, one to seal the game and had nine tackles. He was just all over the field and offensively. Uh, Bryson Green for Oklahoma State has been the breakout receiver for them. They've he's just all over the place. Five receptions, 133 yards, and a touchdown for him. He was just incredible. 
Uh, Sanders was composed. Texas, I mean, Quinn Ewers just looked awful. 19 for 49 with three interceptions. He just looked completely out of it. So I, B. John Robinson did his thing for Texas as well, 140 yards. So, I mean, he's always going to get his. But for Oklahoma State, it was just an impressive game from from uh, Bryson Green. And also the Stephon Johnson Jr. who got his first playing time this week because they Oklahoma State actually had three receivers out. Um along with some defensive players um, and a DT and two O-linemen. So they were injured and still pulled off the victory. So let's stick in the Big 12. TCU continues their undefeated season up till this point. Um, How about the game versus Kansas State? What were your takeaways from that one? Yeah, uh, this one's tough. Uh, TCU, they're 7-0, so I got to give them their credit. And I think they're actually a very good team. I think they're probably the best team in the Big 12, debatably. But, man, Kansas State was so beat up. They had, like, 13 injuries in the game. And in the second half, they had their third-string quarterback in. Adrian Martinez wasn't in the entire game um, after the first drive. Not sure what happened to him. So they had Will Howard in most of the game. And then they had to put in Jake Rubley, who threw an interception on his one and only pass of the game. So it was a very rough second half for Kansas state. They didn't have their personnel. They basically had to feed Deuce Vaughn, who was, um, they also, I think he got kind of knocked up at one point. I mean, it's just TCU got really lucky as far as I'm concerned when Casey had no offensive personnel. And so they scored 21 to zero in the second half. But at the same time for me, TCU, whenever an offense is, is completely anemic because they don't have their, their personnel in what are you going to do for Kansas state? I feel bad for them. I think that they were actually the better team in that game, but they were injured. So that's my takeaway from there. But TCU at the end of the day is seven and zero, um, and Max Duggan did his thing, but really Kendra Miller, uh, was incredible for TCU at 153 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. He's just a beast. So yeah, I mean, TCU is doing their thing, but I think they got a little lucky. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not the best team in college football, but, uh, Still, for TCU to have a 7-0 season, that's that's really big for them and a fun storyline to follow, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, all right. So another another divi- uh, uh, conference that's not followed as closely, UCLA versus Oregon. So you wanted to highlight this game. Tell me why. Yeah, the reason I want to highlight this, first of all, I thought UCLA was legit. They caught me off guard in this game defensively. They were just horrible. After what they did against Utah, I was confident in them. Um, especially Thompson Robinson, their quarterback. He's a beast. So I I was shocked at their performance in this game. But Oregon and Bo Nix, the way that they got dismantled in week one versus Georgia, I think everyone who follows college football thought Oregon was done. Their playoff chances were done. But my goodness, did they come back in a big way? And they're now huge playoff contenders. If they can win out, which looking at their schedule, they have a very good chance of doing Oregon is legit. Their offense is legit. Bo Nix is not the quarterback that he was at Auburn. Um, and their running game is also extremely potent. I'll tell you what, just my I, the reason I wanted to highlight this is watch out for the Ducks because when it comes to playoffs week 15 before the conference championship, I almost guarantee Oregon will be a top 10 team or have a say for possibly a playoff bid. So they're a team to watch out for. Yeah, I believe it. I think a lot of people had a weird taste in their mouth with that team because of the way that the coaching situation mm-hmm. kind of went down in, in the offseason. 
Um, and, and I think that colored a lot of people's expectations. Then they get beat by Georgia, who, again, is maybe best team in college football in week one. And, uh, you know, it, they have pretty much, I don't want to say they've done nothing, but but proved out as wrong up to this point. But they're definitely trending in the right direction at this point. So another big time game. So obviously, I, I really I kind of wanted to have Max on this week just because of this game, because he is a. Uh, an alum of the Orangemen. Um, now, he's not a, a Syracuse fan per se, but still, I knew he would have been pretty hyped about this one. We have Syracuse versus Clemson in an ACC matchup. Clemson does come out on top, but this was a big-time showing by Syracuse. So how did this game go down in your eyes? Well, it's interesting. I think Clemson definitely put their, their face on as a pretender in this one. And at the end of the day, Here's my perspective. They deserve to be top four right now just based on resume alone. I mean, they've beaten, what, four or five ranked teams. And at the end of the day, no one else has that. So Clemson's winning games, can't discredit them for that. But, but, big but here. DJ Uyangale, who is supposed to be this Heisman contender now, people are saying he's churned a leaf. I've seen this story before, was garbage. Two interceptions and I think two fumbles. I mean, he was just horrible, useless on the field. And I mean that in the most genuine way. He was not beneficial. He was almost a harmful entity on the field. He caused issues. Syracuse was capitalizing in the first half. They put in uh, Cade. I don't know how to say this kid's name yet, but they put in Cade, their their second string quarterback, and he went out (laughs) and just diced up Syracuse in the final few minutes. Here's the issue. The refs sold. Syracuse should have won this game. I've never seen a game where I, I, I can say definitively that the refs had a hand in it and there was something weird going on because at the end of the game when it looked like, okay, Syracuse is going to hold on despite no offense, refs came in and saved Clemson. The Tigers should not be undefeated right now. And at the end of the day, that is what it is. But the, Syracuse's best running back, Sean Tucker, was dealing with health issues most of the second half. So he wasn't getting touches, even though he's averaging 10 yards a touch. He's that guy. So early, I feel bad for Syracuse. However, I think they need to keep their heads up. Um, They've got a new year six chance, which is unbelievable for them. And I think they're actually a very good team and they should be the top team in the ACC right now. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I know you're not the only person that has that opinion. And uh, when we get to our draft episode, which will come out, and on Thursday, I, I'll ask Nick what he thought about this game and, and as we go over some of the prospects that might be there because they are showing off some some real talent for a program that you know traditionally has been, you know, maybe not one of the powerhouses in college mm-hmm. football. All right. So those are the those are the games that we're highlighting from this past week. Now, because I don't have you on very often, I want to get your take on where we stand with this right now. So I'm gonna ask you a double headed question. The first is, who are your top four teams, a.k.a. the teams that you believe should go to the college football playoffs? And then who do you think will go to the college football playoffs at this point in the season? I like that question because I think those are two very different things. You know, I run the I I, I help organize the Gridiron Heroics official top 25, which is posted weekly. And the way I teach my voters is regardless of how you think, feel about a team. It doesn't matter because you have to go based on resume or else you're going to allow personal bias to get in. And for that reason, on bias alone, my number with with bias uh, uh, removed and resume based 
basis alone, my number one team in the country right now is Tennessee. My number two team in the country is Ohio State. And my number three team in the country is Georgia. This is where it gets interesting because you've got some teams, I think two teams that can argue for four, and that's Michigan or Clemson. And as much as I said, I just said that Clemson's a pretender. I think they're the fourth team just based on resume alone. They've beaten several top 25 teams, um, taking care of business when they had to. And if I'm looking right now, they have one, two, three. They have four top 25 wins so far. No one else has that. So Clemson's four for me, Michigan's five, who I think will make the playoffs is a different situation here because this is based on what I think the committee will do. I have a feeling we're going to be looking at a Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Oregon. That is the vibe I'm getting right now. That's where I feel like we're heading towards. However, the only team I would substitute for Oregon, I think Ohio State. I just don't know with Ohio State because they haven't really played anyone that I'd per se uh, are tough enough competition for me to gauge whether or not they're just going to go undefeated and crush everyone in their path because I don't know. It's Ohio State. They have a tendency to lose one game a year that they shouldn't. So I don't know what that looks like yet. Penn State could go out and beat them. Who knows? But for now, I think that the top four that's going to end the season is probably going to be three SEC teams and Ohio State or Oregon. That would be pretty wild. I mean, do you think there's a possibility that Alabama does not make it? Because Absolutely. Because it's going to be tough. I mean, I understand you got to put Tennessee in, right? If they go undefeated with the win over Alabama, how can you how could you not put them in, right? Yes. And then and then, you know, you put in Georgia too. And at that point, if you really want to put Oregon in, then you have to decide between Alabama and Ohio State. But then can you justify from a storyline perspective not putting Bryce Young in the college football playoff? Like this is an interesting one. It's an interesting one. It's 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 interesting to me that your current prediction is Oregon over Ohio State. Because, I mean, I kind of get it, but that's that's bold take. It really is. Well, my reasoning behind it, I, I like I said, I I'm fifty fifty on that. The reason I'm saying Oregon, because if they go undefeated, and this is here's the reality: you can't predict crazy upsets in college football. You have to go mm-hmm. if you're making a prediction. You have to go based on what their schedule looks like, and Oregon's schedule looks like a breeze. It's the Pac-12. Like, come on, so. Oregon goes undefeated. Ohio State loses a game they shouldn't, like they always do. Oregon's only loss is to Georgia in week one of the season. And Georgia is probably going to end up being the number one seed. There is really no argument to keep them out. If Ohio State loses a game, they shouldn't, because I think they will. And at the end of the day, then it's just going to be based on name bias, which is why I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State got in. But if Oregon does go undefeated, does win the Pac-12 of these, only lost to Georgia. They should be in over Ohio, a one-loss Ohio State. The only other team I think has a chance is TCU, but I don't think they're going to go undefeated. I really don't. Um, and Oklahoma State, if they go undefeated er, from this point on, win the Big 12, avenge their loss, they'll have a chance. But as much as I love Oklahoma State, it's Mike Gundy we're talking about. <laughs> He's not. He is not good at finishing the bow. So I just don't think Oklahoma state will do that. So I think at the end of the day, you really have six, maybe seven teams that are talking about being in the playoffs right now. And Oregon has the easiest path of any one loss team. 
That's why I say Oregon. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. So before we preview just a couple of the upcoming games for this week, last thing I want to ask you is who are your current favorites in the Heisman race? And I know that it's it tends to be storyline driven as well. So, you know, maybe maybe it's not necessarily who you'd pick, but who do you who do you expect to be the front runners for the award? Okay, if it's not my pick, I expect the winner to be C.J. Stroud. He just has bias towards him since the start of the season. Do I think he's the Heisman? Absolutely not. My Heisman is Hinton Hooker. I think he has been the definition of a Heisman. He has turned a program into a playoff contender, not just a playoff contender, a national championship contender. Tennessee is a championship contender. They're so good offensively, and it's behind Hinton Hooker. The only other player in my ballot right now that I actually think I would put a vote in would be Blake Corum from Michigan. I get CJ Stroud has stats. Look at his weapons. My goodness. We're talking about a, a, a guy that probably has three NFL starting receivers on his roster. Like, come on. Blake Corum is a running back and he's putting up stats. we like that, that I haven't seen since probably Jonathan Taylor. He is really killing it. And Hendon hooker, doesn't have the weapons of C.J. Shroud. He has talent, don't get me wrong. Tennessee has great receivers, but he doesn't have Ohio State-level receivers. And he's still putting up ridiculous numbers. And and the thing about, here's the thing about Hinton Hooker, he's being so consistent. There hasn't been a game this season where you've been like, that wasn't too good of a performance. Every game he's performed, no one else has done that this season. So my Heisman's Hinton Hooker, who I think will win probably C.J. Shroud. Interesting. So, I mean... I think there's enough of a storyline with Hendon Hooker that he might ultimately be the guy. I think that I think that he has a real shot at it because, look, yeah, C.J. Stroud goes to Ohio State. They have a super offense. But, I mean, everybody loves the story of a guy, like a, I don't want to say a reclamation, but, you know, after coming from Virginia Tech, it's kind of what he was. And I'm, I'm really only becoming versed with this guy this year because this is the, the closest I've paid attention to college football in – in like during the season uh, pretty much ever so I don't know I mean I mean you know I'm not the college football expert but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way that the voters go just because because it'll be a fun story all right last thing couple of games this upcoming week that we want to highlight maybe not quite as crazy of a week in terms of ranked matchups but we still have some good ones who are your favorite matchups for this coming week well there's a few. There's a few. This is a, this is a weird one, because here's the thing: the college football game day went to Jackson State because, of course, they did, uh, and that's because there really isn't that many perennial matchups right now. Um, Oklahoma State versus Kansas State, obviously something to look at. I think Oklahoma State's going to blow out K State though. Their injuries are too much, unless they come out healthy because they have some special juice like Space Jam. Um, I don't. <laughs> I I think Oklahoma State actually is probably going to run away with that one in Manhattan. Um, Ohio State versus Penn State is the best matchup of the week, obviously, uh, but I don't think it's going to be close. And everyone's going to be like, "Oh, it's Penn State again." So. I, I don't know. That does seem like a game, though, where you see Ohio State go out and just somehow choke and lose, and then Penn State finishes the season 9-3 and three still. But I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird game. I think Ohio State will probably blow the brakes off of them. And then the only matchup other than that that I find it interesting is Kentucky-Tennessee. Um, If Tennessee wins that game, 
I think people need to actually start being scared of them. I get they beat Alabama, but the emotion behind that one could definitely look back upon it and say, okay, it was just one of those games, special games during the season. But if they beat if they beat Kentucky in 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 a demanding fashion, it's going to be pretty serious. That they should be number one on everyone's everyone's ballot if they beat Kentucky. So that's the number one game for me this week is Kentucky Tennessee. And also, it's time for Kentucky to put down or go away because I they were so hyped up this season and they just have not lived up to it and specifically it's time for Will Levis to show us whether or not he's a draftable quarterback because quite frankly this season as far as I'm concerned all he's shown is that he has arm talent and that's it he has not shown that he has the 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 killer instinct that you need to be a top 5 quarterback in the draft so I'm I'm interested for that as well there's a lot of storylines for that game and I think there's a lot of upset potentials across the board but those are the main games I'd look out for well, yeah, I think that's definitely the best quarterback matchup. I mean, if you if 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 that's what you love in football, which a lot of people do, Hennon Hooker versus Will Levis is definitely going to be, you know, has the potential at least to be an interesting performance. And, uh, all right, man, we have, you know, there's some other ones just to keep an eye on. We got Notre Dame versus Syracuse. Obviously, Notre Dame not having the best year, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how Syracuse bounces back after probably an emotional defeat. You know. Yeah, if they thought they should have won, do they rally? You know what I mean? Do they make a case for themselves to get into the top ten? Do they come back with a force, or what, did we kind of see the the pinnacle of their season against Clemson? I'm curious about that. Um, but yeah, man. All right, and, and here's the other crazy thing: USC is still at number ten as well. They get to play Arizona. That's mm-hmm. probably going to be, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a matchup worth highlighting. But uh, it's it's interesting to me that they they've maintained their top ten status with some of these other teams out there. Trust me, I agree. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Actually, I, I mean, look at their schedule. Uh, who have they played to deserve top ten? Over first of all, why are they ranked over Utah? That makes no sense. And in that case, why are they ranked above UCLA? Because Utah beat USC and UCLA beat Utah. Yet USC is the highest ranked of the three. That's the type of stuff in the AP <laughs> poll that drives me crazy. I don't get it. It makes no sense. That's why you should follow Gridiron Heroics top 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at me like I actually know what I'm talking about. With college football. All right. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, let everybody mm-hmm. know where they can find you. And we'll definitely have you back on the show hopefully relatively soon we'll be back to having max back on for our weekly college football update but uh but we'll have you on too especially as we get to the college football playoffs i think you know we'll ramp up some of the coverage because um i think what better time to do that but let everybody know where they can find your work man absolutely just on twitter at okay state mart i follow osu mainly but i also tweet a lot about college football so if you're interested in big 12 stuff you can follow me Beautiful. All right, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Max. Hey, uh, why don't you come over and we can, you know, decide whether to start or sit Adam Thielen. All right. We are back for Fantasy Fallout with Matthew Brown. Matt is our lead fantasy analyst at Gridiron Heroics, and he is going to talk about the fallout of week seven and how to avoid the fallout of week eight. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, week seven is the, the bye week from, you know, 
the nether realm is <laughs> is beyond us. Um, though I guess if you are relying on the Chiefs' offense, this is your bye week <laughs> that you don't want to see. But regardless, yeah. um, as always, there's great value out there. For sure, for sure. So look, let's jump right into it. Who would you replace some of those Kansas City Chiefs players with if you had them on your roster? So um, uh, if Patrick Mahomes, if you're like me, you have Patrick Mahomes on your team and you're like, oh no, this is what, <laughs> this is the one week I need a quarterback. What do I do? <laughs> I am going to say that Kirk Cousins is a very good play this week for two reasons. One, he's playing okay. the Cardinals. Cardinals are a weaker defense. Um, it, it, I'm expecting that Kirk Cousins is going to put up big numbers against that defense. But the second thing is, it is a noon game. Kirk Cousins is really good at noon games. If this was a primetime game, I'm out. But this is a noon, uh, you know, noon central time anyway. Sorry, I'm, I'm in the central time zone, so everything's at noon. One o'clock Eastern. Um, and so I expect him to put up... I, I, again, I'm not expecting like Patrick Mahomes numbers, but or maybe I, you I, should. I, I mean, maybe you should. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm expecting that that he's going to put up solid numbers. You're not going to be disappointed about having Kirk Cousins in your starting lineup. And then from there, you, you know, I, I think that's probably your best bet. However, someone like Geno Smith is a good option if you're really looking for somebody. His matchups not necessarily the best they're playing the giants but i mean geno smith has been again pretty solid all season and so i think either of those i'd feel comfortable putting in if you're looking at patrick mahomes um on the bench i I think either of those are good for a spot start this week how many how many teams do you think that geno smith is already the starter for in fantasy you know I, i i i'm i'm curious because like I'm looking at the leagues that I'm in and I think it's literally just, we have this aversion to Geno Smith. We're just like waiting for, Oh, this is Geno Smith. It's got to come back to earth. And and ultimately in one quarterback leagues, is he starting over Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen hurts? No, you know, you, you start to kind of with one quarterback leagues, I'll bet he's rostered in most leagues. But I, I think that with one quarterback leagues, it's just harder to start him. But I, I honestly, I'll bet there are deeper leagues, two quarterback leagues, um, leagues where, uh, you know, injuries have happened or something like that. Though I will say the quarterback position has not been full of injuries this year in terms mm-hmm. of fantasy. I'll bet he's starting on a, on a, a surprising amount of of teams, which is... 2022 what a wild year like (laughs) it's been so weird so far so weird (laughs) truly um yeah well look i mean this maybe not maybe not the the week that you want to start geno smith just because his running game has gone off and he's probably without dk metcalf this year but if you're in a pinch he's at least been not been turning the ball over and getting you negative points so you know maybe he's maybe he's a good guy for you if he is available all right who else do you deem a solid start for this week or maybe a guy that you can pick up off waivers? Anybody that you want to shout out? Yeah, I got three running backs. Um, the first one is Devin Singletary on the bills. Um, I have watched a lot of Packers um, because I'm a Packers fan and, and guys, it's bad. It's very bad. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the play is horrible. 
I, I fully expect this this Sunday night game to be an absolute massacre. Um, uh-huh. So one, the Packers run defense is not good. Um, and so I think Devin Singletary is going to have options. And two, I think the Bills are going to be so far up in the mid-third quarter that they're going to look for running the ball. This could be a game where Josh Allen sits for the fourth quarter. I, oh, and man. I, like, I'm, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not exaggerating on this because <laughs> I'm not convinced that the Packers can score points, especially because Allen Lazard is probably out. So the wide receiver cores are like, Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dobbs, Jawan Winfrey, Amari Rogers, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. So I I just think that this game is going to be an absolute blowout and that Singletary is going to get carries based on the fact that they're trying to end this game and the Packers run defense is weak. Is this a week where you don't play Aaron Jones? Because even though he's the best weapon, are they going to be throwing the ball too much? Like, if the, if you expect them to be that down for, throughout the game, aren't they going to have to try and throw the ball down the field to, to, to get back into it? There's two ways to look at this. One, they're so limited on weapons that Aaron Jones is literally the only thing that they're going to have to target. <laughs> but the other side of this is... Aaron Jones did something to Matt LaFleur. I don't know what it is. It has not been revealed. But every single game, and Sunday was a perfect example. If you watch the first drive, Aaron Jones gets like four or five touches. Um, it's looking really good. It got this great little toss play that gets eight yards. Um, we've got we've got a, a nice run where he, it's only six yards, but he like breaks a couple tackles and bounces off. And they end up scoring. They score a touchdown on this drive. And you go, wow, what a great opening drive. And then you never see Aaron Jones for like the rest of the game. And then the last touchdown that they score in, you know, garbage time is like, oh yeah, Aaron Jones is really good. Maybe we should have like, I don't know, put him on the field and gotten him touches. So, so that's, that's my nervousness about starting Aaron Jones is that Matt LaFleur like starts him on the first drive and then is like, oh, well, you know, you can just go sit on the bench for a while and we're just not going to call plays for you. But I think they're going to have to get him more involved simply on the grounds of there's not that much talent elsewhere on the roster. But honestly, I'm out on Packers for this week in fantasy football. Don't start them. They're playing the a, a top defense, a top offense. Just they're a stay away team. Yeah. Well, I mean, eight attempts and his overall rushing yards are not great. Nine receptions for 53 yards. So, I mean, you know, not exactly impactful. He did have the two touchdowns, but I think I think you just you got to try and incorporate him into the offense a little bit more if you if you want to have any chance. So, we'll see. We shall see what happens with the Packers. Um I I would I would really feel bad for you, but I'm too busy feeling bad for myself with the key players that have gone down for my own team and the dynamic which that changes. So, where are you on the Jets? skill player positions going into this week. They just traded for uh, uh, James Robinson. They already have Michael Carter. They've shown that they want to be a run-based offense incorporating the backs in the passing game. Who, if you if somebody had Brees Hall and they're looking for a guy to replace his production this week, which is basically impossible, but if you at least get something out of this guy, who would you put as your running back in place? 
I mean, I, I my other running backs that are big wins this week, James Robinson. I, I it it is curious to me that the Jaguars were so willing to move on from him. And just that's from an NFL perspective. From a fantasy perspective, oh my gosh, if you are a James Robinson or Travis Etienne owner, you are just over the moon because um, I think that James Robinson is a really, really good running back and is going to slot right in if um, if somehow you can convince the person that has James Robinson rostered or maybe because of his low usage, he's been dropped on waivers. Um, uh, now at this point, maybe some people have kind of caught on to that and maybe have added him to the waiver claim, but you know, there, there still might be an opportunity to get him, especially one of my leagues is a bidding system. You know, you have a budget and you, you bid Mm -hmm. on the free agents bid a ridiculous amount of money. The jets clearly want to run the ball. That is what they want to do. And I think James Robinson is a great, great running back. And on Jacksonville's side, now, if you have Travis Etienne, I'm probably saying that guy's name wrong. Um, uh, you are, you are just over the moon because now there's no competition. It's, it's his show. So those are two running backs as well that, that slot in and honestly, probably not just slot in for this week, but those are probably now like staples in your starting lineup, assuming they are healthy for the rest of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the Jets have to go up against the Patriots defense, and so I don't think they want to put the ball in Zach Wilson's hands, you know, a whole heck of a lot. So, uh, well, and you, and to and they're playing the Patriots as like you said, and uh if you watch Monday night, the Bears like ran all over. The, they did. The That's true. That's true. And you know, Justin Fields was a part of that, but I don't I don't know if you really want to run Zach Wilson like they ran Justin Fields, but you know, he can. And if you keep that threat alive, then it makes running the ball a little bit easier. So uh, if there's one thing I know about Belichick, he usually doesn't have the same issues week after week. But, I mean, it's, I I struggle to see how the Jets will be worse on offense than, than the Bears were, you know. I, so, you know, look, James Robinson might be a really good play. Who else you want to shout out for us this week on Fantasy Fallout? Um, you know, kind of going back to the whole Chiefs thing. Um, you know, if you're if you've got um, Travis Kelsey, uh, first of all, congratulations! You have one of the two tight ends that have been consistently producing. <laughs> now you get a taste of what the rest of us have to deal with <laughs> of struggling to try to figure out tight end stuff. Um, high risk, high reward is your Taysom Hill play. I know I've called him out on this podcast. I've written articles about him he just gets touches in high scoring opportunities. So, you know, last week was not great, but he did score a touchdown. So it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're playing the Raiders this week. The Raiders defense doesn't really scare me um, that much. Their offense does, but not so much their defense. So, I mean, I, I think that's a, a decent tight end play. Um, from there, uh, I, I also am gonna shout out um uh uh uh, tyler higby from the rams um they're playing the 49ers this week and uh i i think that higby i mean it's higby and cooper cup that's pretty much the only people that are being thrown to um (laughs) because again i think Allen robinson like you know slapped sean mcveigh or something like that and they just refused to call plays for him but uh 
those are two. I mean, again, it's hard when you're you probably, if you have Travis Kelsey, you don't have the availability of Tyler Higby, but uh, the tight end position has just been such a drought that, I mean, here, here's an idea. I mean, maybe try to see if you can offload a frustrated Kyle Pitts manager and spot start Kyle Pitts. I mean, there's worse things you could do. Um, but I, I, I think it's honestly, if you're, if you've got Travis Kelsey on a, on a buy, fill in somebody and just look for value elsewhere. You're, you're not going to find necessarily like a gold mine matchup to spot start. Um, unlike the quarterbacks where again, I think like Kirk cousins and Geno Smith and some, even a couple other quarterbacks, I think you could slot in and be like, Hey, this, you know, this, uh, this person's going to get your points, just find value elsewhere and just get somebody in that tight end position. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. By the end of this year, if this, if this pace continues, Taysom Hill is going to have one of the truly wildest wildest snap to touchdown ratios that we have ever seen. I don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember like a goal back who just <laughs> only comes in on like third and one or goal line and just has a bunch of touchdowns. Like he might have one of the truly most ridiculous stat lines when you compare touches straight to touchdowns. So I, I will see by the end of the season, if that, that comes into play. I will throw out another bill, though, because Dawson Knox is a guy who, from a fantasy perspective, hasn't been doing much, so he might be available out there. Uh, He's definitely not going to give you uh, Travis Kelsey stats, but if you really do expect the Bills to go off like that, they'll start feeding everybody. You know what I mean? They'll just start getting the ball to everybody. And if they are blowing the Packers out like that, he's probably good for, you know, maybe maybe five catches for 50 yards something like that get you at least 10 points so that's a yeah. guy that i'll throw out there as well my yeah. and expertise. as a team i'm becoming more <laughs> high on the Bengals as well um mm-hmm. the offensive line clearly has figured out how to block for joe burrow in the past two weeks that has involved some big jamar chase games so i mean obviously like you know if you have jamar chase you're starting jamar chase you don't need me to tell you that but I think if you're also looking for a receiver that might be available via trade or on waivers, Tyler Boyd might become more valuable. T Higgins has struggled with uh, injuries this year. And if that offense can protect and that offense starts to open it up, I think Tyler Boyd might be a nice pickup that sits on your bench and then an injury happens or you need a start in a bye week. I, I, I think it, I think it might work out the one wide receiver. I want to call out as well that I'm, I'm curious what happened to is Michael Gallup that he came back from an ACL and he was, you know, this deep threat that Dak Prescott loved to throw to. And in the first couple of weeks, he just got nothing. I want to say last week he got like one target and didn't catch a pass. And that's not great. Not great. <laughs> Well, I think Michael Gallup didn't come back and, and play for a while. And then you throw, I'm just checking up exactly how many games he's been in. I want to um, say he came back week three or four. Well, you all, I think one of the key aspects to that is that Cooper Rush, he's not really known for his downfield passing ability. I mean, you know, he can lob the ball up, but he's he, one of the reasons that he's a backup is because he can effectively run an offense, but he can't really threaten you downfield or with his legs. 
So like a, a kind of a designated deep threat receiver is not really, you know, it, it's, it's not a weapon that's probably going to be heavily utilized. So I'm looking here week four, five, and six, he played with Cooper rush. Didn't really have a whole heck of a lot going on. Um, and then last week he played with Dak, but I think they just run the ball a lot now. So I don't know. Look, I'm not saying to play him, but I'm not surprised that he didn't contribute much in Dak Prescott's absence. I will just say that. Yeah, um, I think they found, like you said, they found something in that running game. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard have looked really, really good. Like I've been very impressed mm-hmm. with Ezekiel Elliott um, as as a running back this year. He's not like blowing it out of the water, but he also looks really solid and is going to, from a fantasy perspective, you feel good starting him in the flex spot. So I will just throw this out there real quick as our final point, because you have been hammering Taysom Hill for a while. So it's probably your biggest win up to this point, I would say. And look, (laughs) he is number three of all tight ends in fantasy points. And it's not even close. He is 20 points ahead of number four. And so he's basically right up there with Mark Andrews. For whatever reason, people just don't seem to have caught on to this you were saying you know go out and find him if he's still available i was thinking to myself like how is he not available according to this while travis kelsey and mark andrews are obviously rank uh, uh, uh rostered on 100 of rosters 63.2 according to fantasy pros so it's like yeah. he's still out there just waiting to be picked up yeah. it's nuts it's 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 wild to me i i think i think it is i mean i'll admit it is a riskier play but it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's this, you have to think about it is it's yes, he's getting limited touches, but every touch has the potential for a score. So, you know what, let's say my running back, like let's say an Ezekiel Elliott is getting 20 touches a game. What percentage of those are actual, like true, like really, I mean, obviously any play can go off for a touch on any time, but I would say maybe only, you know, one to three of those is a actual true like scoring real scoring chance. I mean, that's like less than 10% around that 10%. I mean, again, I don't have the stats around this, but Taysom Hill probably is somewhere in the 50 to 60% of the snaps that he is getting has the potential to score. <laughs> well, it's not just that he like, he's taking it to the house on a few. Look at Listen to this right now. <laughs> He has only 29 rushing attempts so far this season. He has five touchdowns in 29 rushing attempts. Five. Ins- I mean, like, the lead running backs in the NFL have probably more than 29 rushing attempts through two games. I would say most of them have more. I don't think anyone really have one. But five touchdowns in that number of attempts. He has two receptions. And one touchdown. So he, he has caught a touchdown on 50% of his targets. It's just wild. So look, it's it's really about the scoring. He doesn't have a ton of yards. 276 rushing yards is not bad. But it's all about the scoring opportunities. And the fact that they like to get him involved in trick plays. Just like, it just really throws that high variance into any touch that he does get. It's it's crazy. Look, I mean, what if you want to play him or not. He should be rostered. If he's out there, just drop one of your 
backup wide receivers and just get this guy on your roster because well, at some point. And I think the key for me as well is it's not like, like you said, he's tight end number three. It's not like other tight ends. I'm not like I'm asking you to start tight end number 24, hoping that he's, <laughs> that he scores some. It's not like yeah. the tight end position is, is a gold mine. Like it, yeah. I, it, yes, it's a little bit more of a risky play, but so is any other tight end not named Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, or I would throw Dallas Goddard in there as well. I think he's had solid numbers as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a few guys, but it just seems like in any given week, they may may not do much of anything. But look, this is week seven we're talking about here. This is not week two, and we're jumping on the Taysom Hill train and like and hammering him, even though you did talk about him early. Seven weeks in. Seven weeks, he's still tight end three by fantasy points. So... Look, what this is guy, this season? What, yeah, what in the I world know. is happening? <laughs> you know, and there's another one. Will Disley, he's rostered on 9.6% of rosters. 9.6%. Go get him. Because, yeah, he maybe he don't won't produce. But if you need somebody, without DK Metcalf, that's more targets for him. More so. opportunity. And Geno Smith is clearly slinging the ball around, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess that's going to do it for us tonight. I appreciate your time as always. Matt, can you let everybody know where they can find you and your work until we talk again next week and you can yeah, lament the abso- Packers? Absolutely. Oh <laughs> Inevitable my gosh, loss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I, I've just, I've just accepted the, the Packers fate. And I mean, ultimately it's been 30 years of fantastic seasons for me. Like uh, you know, no one feels bad for the Packers right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said that to you in the, in, in our first ever episode. I was like, I, I just have no sympathy for Packers fans or Patriots yeah. fans. So. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's just no sympathy and that's fine. Like this is the nature of sports. Um, you can follow me at sorcerer, Matt, um, on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Um, on Thursdays, I will highlight um, Thursday mornings. I don't have a necessarily set time, but I write the articles before and then, and then send them out on Thursday morning of my starts and sits uh, for for the week. And that gets posted on Gridiron Heroics. So uh, keep an eye out on that. Go to our fantasy football section on the site. You'll be able to see those. And um, I, got a, I got a piece coming out on kickers this week. I have a, a little more of a ranting piece on on kickers and how i think we should eliminate them from fantasy football so um (laughs) keep an eye out on that um and no i did not lose my matchup to a kicker this week i won so this is not like a snap reaction i just have you know opinions on this um so yeah sorcerer matt um uh you can you can follow me on twitter and then check out things on gridiron heroics and wisconsin sport heroics i write for that site as well all right beautiful Thanks again, Matt, and we will talk to you next Wednesday. Gamblers, wagerers, and riverboat ramblers, tonight we pick. All right, we are back with a returning guest. We have Ryan, a.k.a. Splash Pots. The content czar over at U Stadium. You can also find him at Splash Rants on YouTube. Ryan is a Ravens fan. He helped us preview the Ravens season, which I think, I don't know if it has gone exactly as expected, but they've been good and they have a winning record, which is usually what you expect out of Baltimore. And he's going to help me preview the Thursday night matchup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ryan, how are you doing today? You know, I'm having a good day. Um, right after this, I'm recording uh, my own show, so I made nachos for it. Um, as a good Ravens fan, I do have Old Bay in it, so 
uh, <laughs> hopefully get some good juju because my co-host has never had nachos before, which I feel like is some sort of prank on me, but he's never what? had nachos. Yeah, I agree. So uh, he lost a bet. Um, he bet the under on Monday Night Football. Of course, the Bears somehow scored 33 points. So we're eating nachos together on stream. Okay. Well, look, I mean, I don't know. I don't really know who's who's the winner of that. I mean, pay him, I guess, because he gets to eat nachos. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't really know who I want, would want to watch me eat nachos. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's like, it's like uh, ordering chicken wings or ribs on your first date. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> it's like that's a very personal experience. All right. Yep. But at least it has Old Bay. That is key. All right, man. So, look, the Ravens season so far, uh, they they win against the Jets to open the season. Lamar's been good. They The passing game has been a little up and down. I watched this past game against the, the Browns this week, and, I mean, they just look like a good football team to me. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the stuff is overblown. They're one of those teams that have high expectations, so any mm-hmm. momentary falter kind of blown out of proportion that's just the way that i feel about it but i mean from a ravens fans perspective what do you feel about this season how do you like what they've done so far do you have any major concerns as far as the broader season yeah see it's tough when you have such high profile collapses and oh you have the 21 point blown lead to miami which doesn't happen if marlon humphrey's on the field frankly or doesn't happen if marcus williams catches what would have been his third interception halfway through the third quarter um, then you have the Bills loss, and the Bills are a very good team. If you just said, oh, they lost to the the Ravens lost to the Bills, okay, everyone's going to lose to the Bills this year. They're probably going to win the Super Bowl, right? Then the Giants game, the Giants are 6-1, and one, and, you know, that's an ugly loss. Lamar um, stunk it up in the fourth quarter. So it, it's just one of those things that the way you lose sometimes matters more, and <clears throat> people are jumping, oh, the Ravens have lost all these – cataclysmic games well, then you forget Lamar was ice water against the Bengals right he was really good against the Jets he was really good against New England you know and even last week he was uh, very good against um, Cleveland it just the little things Lamar does I trust him to win every game honestly like he is one of the five guys that if he's under center the Ravens have a shot to win if Huntley's under center you know I don't think they beat the Bucks, or I don't think they this week or I don't think they beat half the teams they usually beat but with Lamar there's always a shot you win the game 100% I mean he's he's so dynamic and I don't just mean that in terms of being fast you know (laughs) or just having a big arm it's the way that he moves around the football field he creates throwing lanes for himself he's he's extremely dangerous on any given throw and I know that he isn't what we've become used to seeing from quarterbacks but that doesn't mean he's not very, very, very effective. And I mean, I think JK, JK Dobbins, that hurts. Because I mean, he even he he was my comeback player of the year pick. So I'm also disappointed as well. Because you know, you always like to look right. But mm-hmm. but the reality is that he looked good when he got back out there for for that hot minute, you know, not ridiculous stats, but he looked impactful. And when that's his first step back onto a field, then kind of expecting, you know, more as the season goes on. I think he still has a chance to come back and contribute as uh, you know, as the season goes on potentially into the playoffs, but you never know what you're going to get out of him at this point, because obviously Mm -hmm. when you have more issues with the same knee, then 
usually it's not a good sign. But the rest of the weapons, I'm I'm quite pleased with. I like Devin DuVernay a lot. I think he's a very useful player. I think he does a lot of different things. He's effective in the return game. He can threaten you deep. They can give him the ball on end arounds. And I mean, I think that he's an undervalued piece of what that offense is. Rashad Bateman's obviously a good player. And then Mark Andrews is a wide receiver one. You know, you can call him a tight end. That's where he lines up. Yes, he does block, but he is as effective as a top wide receiver one. So I think a lot of the the stuff about them lacking weapons is is overblown, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, J.K. Dobbins being there really would have helped. But overall, I'm still I'm still pleased with what they have. And I think that they can threaten offensively in any game, not just because of Lamar, but obviously he's a big part of it. Yeah, and the thing with Lamar, just having Lamar Jackson or um, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, it's a numbers advantage offensively, particularly in the run game. And having that numbers advantage in the run game um, forces the defense to overcommit and then you can hit him with the pass. This is why the Ravens have been so effective with play action over the years. This is, you know, Mark Andrews' strong suit because you get everyone crashing to stop Lamar and quick little RPO, you know, crosser or whatever. And the the Ravens have yak guys for once. Andrews is a very good yak tight end. Uh, Rashad Bateman has can force missed tackles um, and create something. He had the 75-yard touchdown against Xavier Howard in one-on-one coverage. Um, so I think Baltimore, it's counter to a lot of what the rest of the league does in terms of getting those playmakers, but they do have quality playmakers. You know, Devin DuVernay is just a good football player, and that's a cliche thing to do, but a cliche thing to say, but he checks off the boxes. He's a good returner. He blocks his tail off. Um, you can use him in the short game. You can use him in the gimmick game, the Debo Samuel Cordero Patterson sort of deal. You can use him as a legitimate receiver. And then he can be your Hollywood Brown uh, replacement if you want him to be. So just overall very talented players. And sometimes the scheme doesn't say, hey, Bateman's going to have a thousand yards or Duvernay is going to have a thousand yards. So it's just watching it and saying, Mark Andrews didn't have a catch against the Browns. He was effective because mm-hmm. he was used as a decoy. You know, he had the the greatest play I've ever seen. The only time I've ever appreciated a halfback toss was Mark Andrews <laughs> under center toss to Lamar Jackson. Ballsy play call. It works somehow, some way. But, you know, Mark Andrews is a good football player. Lamar Jackson is a good football player. And the Ravens are full of good football players. Well, sometimes when you do have those really quality players at funky positions, like a, a non-traditional positions, then you can dictate defensive personnel packages and then you can run weird plays like that mm-hmm. to exploit them. So, yeah, I mean, it's fun. I, I always have a lot of respect for what the Ravens do as far as building their roster. And Devin DuVernay, I mean, he's not tall, but he's not small either. He's, 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 he's a speed guy and he doesn't have height. And I think a lot of people lump him in with the, that smaller receiver. But it's not really who he is. He's He has some bulk. He has some strength. I think he's even put on more since he came out of Texas. And I don't know. I, I like the trajectory of his career. I like him coming out. And I think, you know, he's a player who could have a very long career in the NFL. But let's look at the defense. You know, I think, again, I'm not going to say that it's perfect. But, and I sound like a Ravens fan here, but I'm not. But I think it's a little overblown. Again, the secondary issues. I mean, Yes, they did give up a lot of yards to what, and maybe the most ridiculously talented combination at wide receiver that we've seen in a while. I mean, before Tua went down, 
that pair was on pace for some some seriously record-breaking seasons. And they may still even have a chance to set some records now that two is back in. Now, we have yet to see how all that goes, and that's a different conversation. But regardless, I think some of those stats were colored by that. And again, not perfect, but they've got some young players in the secondary. They've got, you know, some guys coming back off of injury last year. So from the eye test and not just looking at box stats, how do you feel about the Ravens' defense up to this point? You know, it's a, similar to the offense. I think they can compete with anyone. Uh, you have Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, all pro corners, uh, you know, multiple-time pro bowlers. Um, I really love the interior. Calais Campbell, Roderick Washington, Justin Matabike. Um, you mix in a little bit of the rookie Travis Jones, uh, one of my favorite picks we've ever had. Um, and then the, the only issue I have at the moment is – this edge rotation, but Justin Houston came back and played with his hair on fire. Adefe Owe is always chasing someone down, even if he doesn't get the even if he doesn't get the sack, he is forcing the quarterback off his platform, forcing the quarterback to make a fundamentally tougher throw. And I have a lot of respect for Patrick Queen the last few weeks. He was one of the worst, <clears throat> one of the worst players in football for the first four weeks of the season. He gets the pick against Burrow. He gets the the forced fumble against Daniel Jones. He last week had I think three straight big plays like the I think two TFLs and a sack just back to back to back and it's just I think it's clicking I think it's beginning to click for Queen and that's a key because if he's off the field then you're losing that athleticism and I just the Ravens have you know athletes on defense they have corners that will do whatever they need to do in Mike McDonald's system. They, if they need to go man-to-man, they can do that. Humphrey and Peters are very good at that. If they need to play zone, you know, I trust Peters and Humphrey to make the tackle. Do I trust Queen? No, but uh, that's a story for another time. And um, losing Marcus Williams a couple weeks ago hurts, but he should be back at some point this season. I think Geno Stone played really well last week um, as like the free safety type, and Kyle Hamilton in a limited role has made plays. Um, so I think it's just – a matter of getting 11 good players in the football field. And Baltimore is generally very good at that. They are generally one of the teams that puts their players in the best position to succeed. You know, like uh, Justin Tucker said, he's a system kicker. You know, if you put players in a position to succeed and the field goal kicking is obviously just a very, a more simple process than defense (laughs) or offense. But um, Mm -hmm. if you put your players in a position to succeed, generally they'll succeed. Yeah, the Patrick Queen thing is, it's really interesting because he is so athletic, he's so explosive, but I think if you have him static at the start of a play, you're not using him to the best of his abilities. I think he struggles a little bit more to read, diagnose, and then mm-hmm. move. I think if you put him, if he's in motion in some way, shape, or form in this at the snap, something just takes over as far as instinct goes and he just starts making plays if you're blitzing him he is effective you drop him deep into coverage as long as he's already moving and he knows where he's got to go that's when he gets the interception you know i think they did something interesting with him against i remember against the jets specifically where they kind of faked man coverage and so as they'd send somebody on uh in motion pre-snap the jets did he would follow as if he's in man coverage and then he would immediately blitz off of that and and that was effective and i and it gave offensive line trouble and he's very athletic so again you know it's just i think the more that you can do that with a player like him the better off you'll be it's tough to do that 
super consistently because sometimes you do have to operate out of like a static base defense. But maybe he can develop that as well if you can, you know, utilize him in uh, in, in in those sort of dynamic ways mm-hmm. as much as possible. So as far as this matchup, I don't want to keep you too long here. So let's jump into this Bucks game. <laughs> Whatever you want to say about the Ravens, it's tenfold about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It, it just seems like everything's going wrong there. There's weird vibes. I expected them to turn things around just because it's Tom Brady. I mean, you know, as a Ravens fan, like you, the, you doubt Tom Brady and that will last you about one week and you will st- suddenly look very bad, right? Like the <laughs> Tom Brady has made a career out of turning things around and closing the season strongly. For whatever reason, it doesn't really look like that's happening this year. And their offensive line is weak on the interior. Doesn't really help him out. Their receiver position has been banged up. But now even when they're back in there, it doesn't really look right. Their defense was dominant to start the season. I don't want to say that they're bad, but it kind of feels like, you know, they can't play complimentary football anymore. So, you know, you can only have the defense out there for so long before they start giving them things up. So what do you expect in terms of this matchup, I guess let's start on the offensive side for the Ravens. I mean, do you think that they'll be able to run the ball effectively against a front that has a Vita Vea and, and has an Akeem Hicks? I have to check if, if, if everybody's playing real quick, but I mean, I'll do that while you, while you give your opinion. Yeah, I think this is one that you use what Carolina did as a blueprint. Last week, they ran for uh, 173 yards, a second most teams run against Tampa all this season. Kansas City ran for a buck 89 a few weeks ago in primetime. So for for once in the last few years, you can run on the Kansas or you can run on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think Baltimore is going to do a good job of blocking up that interior Zeitler, Linderbaum uh, powers. Um, Stanley's back, so that's lovely. Morgan Moses on the right side, Patrick McCarry uh, coming in at times. Um, I think I trust the run blocking to do their job. I trust Gus Edwards to do his job. I trust Lamar Jackson, of course, to do his job. Uh, I just need less Kenyon Drake. I need uh, one thing with the the running game, particularly in Baltimore, is you have to make quick decisions. So if you're you know, trying to be the Barry Sanders, trying to be the Le'Veon Bell, you're not going to have success. Because these plays are blocked up really well to begin, and you got to hit the hole. Gus Edwards is excellent at hitting the hole. He's going to average, you know, five plus yards of carry every game of his career. It feels like Lamar is going to do Lamar things, and <clears throat> I, I do trust Baltimore to be able to move the football in the short game. Um, and I know the the Bucks have had a banged up secondary, um, even a banged up defensive line. So you're rotating pieces in and out. You're playing some. Uh, guys you don't necessarily love playing instead of, you know, Antoine Winfield, it's, you know, rookies or young players, um, UDFAs, that sort of deal. Um, So I do think Baltimore can run the football. Um, You look three of the last four weeks, uh, uh, three of the last four weeks, Tampa has allowed over 100 yards on the ground, including 151 to the Falcons. If you use what Atlanta did, you use what Carolina did as a a guide because, you know, Atlanta didn't throw the ball a whole lot. Carolina threw the ball 22 times. P.J. Walker looked like Dan Marino. Um, so I do think Baltimore will have some success offensively. They just have to, you know, commit and say, hey, Gus Edwards, pick up five yards here, four yards here, and just do that. And the plays will open up. The The bigger chunk plays will open up. The Andrews, you know, over route to get 25 yards. The Duvernay stuff is going to open up. The Bateman stuff, if he's healthy, is going to open up. But 
I do think they can move the ball against Tampa. Yeah, I think their defensive line is looking okay based on the injury report here, but neither Carlton Davis nor Sean Murphy Bunting or Antoine Winfield Jr. participated on Tuesday. So if they're not out there on Wednesday in at least limited participation, that's tough. That's a tough out for them. What about the Ravens' defense? I mean, I, you know, they're banged up as far as the receivers go for Tampa as well. I mean, Russell Gage did not participate. Um, Mike Evans limited. He'll most likely be out there. Julio limited. I have no idea if he'll he'll play or not. Probably, but I don't know how effective he'll be. You know, do you think that this is a good matchup for the Ravens? Do you think that it's a sneaky matchup for the Buccaneers to to, to get right on a short week? What do you think? So knowing the personnel here, Baltimore has one of the best interior rooms in the league, Matabike, Calais Campbell, uh, Washington, Travis Jones. And to accompany that, Tampa has one of the worst interior offensive lines in the NFL. They're rookies, you know, uh, young players. It was supposed to be Jensen and Jack Mason and Ali Marpet retired before the season began. So like you're trusting so much of so much of what Brady does best is just pocket mobility and like the little little subtle movements just the uh, i'm going to use a madden analogy just like flicking the right tr- right stick instead of like full-on left stick sprinting out like a, <laughs> what you do with lamar jackson so these little right. subtle movements brady is so good at that and <clears throat> the best way to beat brady his entire career has been pressure him right down the face like right mm-hmm. right at his face because he's not you know rolling out making plays like lamar jackson is you know he's going to be that statue po- statue in the pocket when it's the edge guys getting depth and trying to get around. And when you have that perfect pocket, that's when Brady's at his best. But if you can get pressure down the middle, I think Baltimore can. I, I think Calais Campbell and Matabike and Travis Jones and the likes, I think they can win their individual matchups. And that's, that's going to clog run lanes. That's going to make life easier for Queen and Bynes if he plays, Malik Harrison if he plays. Um, and it's also going to help in the pass rush and get uh, O.A., Justin Houston, one-on-one reps on the outside. And, you know, maybe you you flush Brady out and O.A. gets a cleanup sack because he hasn't had a, a sack in a while. But he gets all the pressures, <laughs> just hasn't had the, the cleanup sack in a while. So um, the, the receiver matchups, I, I trust Humphrey and Peters to do their thing. Um, it's just a matter of the last couple of years, the Ravens have had this propensity to just allow the big play. It's not the death by a thousand cuts that some defenses just get shredded. It's one play that someone forgets their assignment and that happens to be a safety or that happens to be a corner or Marcus Peters gets burnt over the top and, you know, you get that 75 yard chunk play. Okay. This is what happened to Miami. This is last year. I believe the Ravens led the NFL and yards allowed on 20 yard plays, 30 yard plays, 40 yard plays, 50 yard plays, 60 yard plays, and 70 yard plays. That's not a fun thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, like Gadecki's looks like he's did not participate either. So we'll see what we'll see what that interior looks like. This could be a big game for the veteran Calais Campbell, who's had a couple of matchups with Brady at, throughout his career. You know, this could be two uh, longtime vets going at it. And I wouldn't want to be Brady with, with Campbell bearing down on me. All right. I know you got to get out of here. You got to do your show. You got to eat some nachos. So yes, last question. And <laughs> When you answer it, you can dive straight into letting everybody know where you are available to be found via Twitter, via YouTube, and so on and so forth. Of course, you stadium. But Play Action Pools has Ravens at minus two. Are we taking the Ravens? 
Are we taking the Bucks at plus two at home? How do you feel about that? Okay, I thought the line was on the other side. I thought that it was Bucks by. I think when it opened, it was Bucks minus two and a half, right? Could have been. I did not check, but I'm looking yeah. at it right now, and I've got Ravens minus two. Okay, that's what I've got. Okay, I, I've said all week that I'm hammering whatever number Tampa gets this week because I. I, I know it, it feels that everything's trending Baltimore's direction, but I also know who Tom Brady <laughs> is, and I know right. that Tom Brady is not going to be pleased with scoring 21 points in two weeks against the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Carolina Panthers. They are coming home. They're going to be home for you know two weeks, and they go to Munich, home, home game, and air quotes there. I think this is one of those games that Brady just is vintage Brady. Brady hasn't been bad, the last few weeks, he's just, you know, Mike Evans dropped a 70-yard touchdown. How often does that happen? You know, so mm-hmm. that's, if you hit that play, then I think it's a very different game against Carolina. It's a P.J. Walker show. Like, P.J. Walker had a, a great game, 94 PFF grade, six big-time throws. Like, I get that. But it's very different winning a game from behind and winning a game when you're up, you know, 7 nothing, 14 nothing. So, sadly, I, I will be taking Tampa. Um, I would probably take them out to my even minus three, minus four. Um, this Baltimore wow. had Baltimore had a wacky Thursday night game with Miami last year, which to me falls in the same category as the Carolina game with Tampa, that Sammy Watkins just didn't try to catch a touchdown. And Justin Tucker missed a field goal. So instead of being up seven nothing or four, ten nothing or fourteen nothing, you're up three nothing and your hands are up in the air trying to strangle Sammy Watkins. So yeah, very very frustrating game. Um it's hard to beat Brady three times in a row. Yeah, it is. And look, as an underdog at home, that's tough on a short week. I just, you know, man, like I, it's, that's a tough game for me to pick, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you made a good case. I think, I think as home underdogs, I will take them because I'm just not fully, fully out on Brady yet. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that the offense has not looked good. Right. And, there's tension there and there are things that we didn't really talk about beyond just the football side of things, which, you know, ultimately do impact what's played out on the field. Don't really have time to go into that right now, (laughs) but the reality is it, it doesn't seem like everything's right in Tampa, but on a short week, I don't know if the line is just because of the injury report, because it doesn't really look good for the bucks. I will say that, but yeah, I'll take them two plus two. All right, let everybody know where they can find you, and we'll send you on your way here. Um, so on Twitter, at Mr. Splashman19, uh, Instagram, at Splash Rants. Um, you can, I do YouTube stuff, Splash Rants. Um, I'm about to do the scoreboard watch. Check that out. Um, Tuesday night shows uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern, which we're kind of bleeding into it, but we're, we're behind <laughs> on schedule. That's okay. Um, so, and you can check out what I do on U Stadium, um, just at Splash. So have a nice day, folks. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you again soon, man. 